Hello, this is Leslie Garfield-Tenzer, and this is Law to Fact, a podcast for learning the law for law school. Today we are talking constitutional law. But first, a few disclaimers. Disclaimer one, this is just an overview. You are always responsible for understanding the case law that supports any rule of law. Disclaimer number two, always remember you take the professor, not the course. So if by some chance you are listening to this and I am not your professor, keep in mind that I may emphasize and even include or not include areas of the law that are different from your professor. So today I'm talking with Professor Carl Copeland, who's a professor with me here at the Elizabeth Help School of Law at Pace University. Professor Copeland is a member of our environmental law faculty, but he also teaches constitutional law, which is particularly cool since he was a clerk to Chief Justice Warren Berger. What's cool about him from the environmental perspective, and we don't really get into this part of it, is that Professor Copeland is working hard to have a zero carbon footprint, and toward that end, on nice days, he's known to kayak across the Hudson River on his way to work. So we have a really interesting discussion about Marbury versus Madison, and something, of course, I bring up is that you know when you read Marbury that the commission was signed and sealed, but it wasn't delivered. And I'll spare you my Stevie Wonder signed, sealed, and delivered song, but you'll hear that reference in our discussion. Anyway, here you go. I hope you enjoy this. It's really informative. And dare I say, a lot of fun. All right, so... I'm going to get right into it, and I'm just going to say... Jump right in. Perfect. All right. So my favorite case is Marbury versus Madison. I don't believe that for a minute. I swear. I always think about Stevie Wonder, signed, sealed, and delivered. Right? Signed, sealed, and delivered because of the delivery of the commission? Exactly. You know who was supposed to deliver the commission? No, who? Chief Justice John Marshall's brother. Oh, really? Was given the commission to deliver it. Was given the job of delivering the commission to all these justices of the peace before midnight when, uh, I guess, uh, Jefferson would become president uh-huh. and the new Secretary of State. And you know who signed all the commissions? No, who? Chief Justice John Marshall in his role as Secretary of State. Oh, my goodness. he served both as Secretary of State and as uh, Chief Justice at the same time. That is, that so would there, never happen today. Lot of, that would never <laughs> happen today. There's a lot of, a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, cozy goings-on. And, you know, the case is, is a great case, not just because it's, we wouldn't have constitutional law without the principle of judicial review, but it is also an example of a case uh, given by a court taking sides in a great political bat- battle of the time at a time when there was um, huge political division and polarization in the country where people were literally at their, each other's throats. Why am I thinking about the Broadway show Hamilton? Tell me about Marbury versus Madison. You mean the legal principle or the great story? Behind I love it? the great story, but let's start with okay. the legal principle. Like so, yeah. Well, it's a, it's actually a difficult case to read and understand because there's so much in it that is background or is actually not essential to the important holding of the case. Right? The important holding of the case is fairly simple, and that is that the federal courts and particularly the Supreme Court have the power under the Constitution to declare acts of Congress unconstitutional. So this was the case that gave the court the power to interpret congressional acts. Is that correct? No, not to interpret congressional acts, but to interpret the Constitution and to disagree with Congress's interpretation of the same Constitution and to assert judicial supremacy so that if uh, Congress and the Supreme Court disagree about whether a particular act 
is consistent with the Constitution, the court wins. Okay. Oh, perfect. Supreme Court of the land, right? Supreme Court of the land, right. Got it. Yeah. All right. So the Supreme Court, so Congress passes a statute, someone challenges it, the Supreme Court interprets whether Congress's statute complies with the Constitution. Mm-hmm. If it does, the Supreme Court gives it its stamp of approval. If it doesn't, the Supreme Court has the power to say... To declare the statute invalid. Perfect. Of course, it wasn't that neat and simple in Marbury versus Madison itself. So what happened there? Well, there was actually nobody in front of the court challenging the constitutionality of the statute in question. Huh. That's why it's such a tough case to figure out. In fact, you know, I always love to teach a little civil procedure and legal practice with this case, too. If I really want to stump students, I ask if anybody knows what the whole opinion means, then if some gunner says, yes, I know, I think, <laughs> tell me what the very last line of the opinion, which says the rule must be discharged, means. It means that you have to discharge the rule. I don't even know. Now you caught me off guard. Okay, well, you know. <laughs> you caught and, me off guard. Because this is like this case was brought by order to show cause. Okay. Okay, which, you know, is an order issued by the court saying, in an emergency motion, saying we're going to order you to do something unless you show cause why the court should not order it. Right. And instead of calling it an order to show cause, it's called a rule, a rule to show cause, but it's the same thing in the Supreme Court in an original case. And so uh, Madison, as Secretary of State, was ordered to show cause why he should not, as Secretary of State, be required to deliver these commissions Hmm. to Marbury as Justice of the Peace. And guess what they did in response to that order to show cause? They totally defaulted. Right. They never showed up in court. But President Jefferson was such a bitter enemy of the Federalists, including the Federalists on the court, he did not respect the court enough even to show up to argue against Marbury's case. So this was the, the court was like inconsequential at the time. No one really cared what the court had to say. Is that Well, that's one way in, to interpret in, yeah. it. I mean, it's, you know, and I like to keep a scorecard of of Jefferson and the Anti-Federalists, right, uh-huh. and 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 uh, Marshall and the Federalists, because remember this 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 is a politically charged case, right? And you know, you mentioned Hamilton a moment ago. I mean, it really was the Federalists and the Anti-Federalists at each other's throats. Mm-hmm. The Anti-Federalists had just won the election, right? And um, and Jefferson was coming in, and at the very last, literally the last hours of the Federalist administration and the Federalist Congress, Congress created these new. Justice of the Peace positions for the District of Columbia. Okay. And Chief Justice John Marshall, who was also Secretary of State, signed the commissions on the very last day before Jefferson would be sworn in. And the commission gives them power. And the commission just gives them their job. Yeah, it as gives Justice them power to sit. Yeah, right. exactly. One of the small issues of the case right. is whether or not um, he's entitled to the commission as a matter of substantive law, as mm-hmm. well as all the procedures going on. Sorry about that. That's okay. And so John Marshall sent his brother out to deliver all these commissions in the very last days. And so the idea was that the Federalists were trying to stack the judiciary, including the justices of the peace of the District of Columbia on the side of the Federalists and against the anti-Federalists. Right. Okay. And so um, that's why it was so politically charged. And, um, and so, you know, if you read through the opinion, it looks like the Federalists are winning mm-hmm. in that... The opinion goes through, first of all, is, you know, is Marbury entitled to his commission? Correct. Justice of the Peace. Right. Which would be a win for the Federalists who just kicked out of office. And, you know, the opinion says yes, right? 
And then the next question is, you know, there's these the technical questions of the Supreme Court jurisdiction, which wasn't a particular Federalist, anti-Federalist issue, but then does the Supreme Court have the power of judicial review, which in that context would be a victory for the Federalists, because, because they could then overrule actions by the new anti-Federalist Congress that had just been sworn in. So it's the power, the Supreme Court has the power to actually give Marbury his commission. Right? That's what they're deciding? Well, no. It's, well, that's one of the things that's, that's buried in there. That's not the right. most important thing. Right. Actually, ultimately, the court says, no, the Supreme Court does not have the power to give Marbury his commission. Right. Because it doesn't have jurisdiction. Right, because they should have filed it in a different court. They should, they should have, have filed it in the district court. court instead of going to straight okay. to the Supreme okay. Court. Okay, okay. So the act of Congress that is being declared unconstitutional right. here... The okay. Judiciary Act of 1789, which itself was a little ambiguous, um, and says in a long sentence with a lot of subordinate clauses, and the Supreme Court shall have the power to issue writs of uh, mandamus. Right. But the way it's phrased, it's not at all clear whether that applies to writs of mandamus in a case where it has appellate jurisdiction, or whether that is a grant to issue, to take original jurisdiction you know, an original case seeking a writ of mandamus. And so, again, Marshall it does a whole lot of fancy interpretive footwork to create this constitutional crisis and then resolve it. In his favor. In, in favor of the Federalist courts, yeah. at least, right? Yeah. In favor of the power of the Supreme Court to declare acts of Congress unconstitutional. Right. You could have easily interpreted the Judiciary Act of 1789 not to give the court original jurisdiction, Right. And then there would have been no constitutional issue at all. It would have been just a straight, hey, sorry, Mr. Marbury, you went to the wrong cart. Get out of here. Right. right? So, so, and that's, okay, so I just want to recap exactly what you're saying, which is basically Marbury wants his commission, right? Mm -hmm. It was not delivered properly to him. So can't be seated as a judge. Can't be seated as a judge. As a I mean, we're not Justice. talking about... I know, like to marry people, we're right? We're not talking about federal district court judge. We're not <laughs> right. talking about life tenure even, right? Here, right? We're just right. talking about... I, don't, I have no idea in What's a job? 1800 what a justice of the peace in the District of Columbia did. I'm, I guess they were authorized to marry people. Right. And they probably had jurisdiction over, you know, over misdemeanors and, you know, and other petty crimes or whatever. Right. So, so, all right. So he wants his job. He wants his job. And he wants, he, so he's suing to get a writ of mandamus, which means give this person their job, give this person well, the Riddle power. Well, Damus is just a, it's a court order to tell an official to perform an official act. Okay. And the official act the is impaneling. What would be delivering the actual commission to Marbury. Okay. So the official so act is delivering. Yeah. So Marbury is suing to get a writ of mandamus and the writ of mandamus is going to say to a court, you must seat Marbury as a judge. Actually, all the writ of mandamus would have said is physically deliver this piece of paper that says you're a justice of the peace. Okay. Presumably, Mr. Barbary thought that would be enough for him to insist on having an office right. and, a, and a courtroom somewhere. All right. And in order for... So, so you know, Marbury goes and either he hires an attorney or he's an attorney and he reads the Congressional Act of... Judiciary Act of 1789. And the Judiciary Act says in order to get a writ of mandamus... You must go to which court? It's unclear, right? Well, it's really unclear. Right. Okay? okay. I mean, arguably, Mr. Marbury's attorney, or maybe he was pro se, I don't know, committed malpractice by going to the wrong court. Right. Or maybe they thought that being in front of 
the brother of the person who was supposed to deliver the commission was a good place to be. But in any case, the uh, Judiciary Act of 1789 could be read to give an original action in the Supreme Court, and that's the way they read it. I mean, it does I, say that the Supreme Court has the authority to issue writs of mandamus. So the Supreme Court get this gets this thing before it, mm-hmm. and it uses this case as the opportunity to say, we're going to interpret the Judiciary Act, and we're going to interpret it as saying when it is constitutional. We're going to interpret it to decide whether it's constitutional or not. There are several layers of interpretation going on here. Okay. One of the reasons it's a tough case to just read and understand why it's so important. So there's a discussion of interpreting the Judiciary Act, but there's nothing surprising about that. Of course, courts have to interpret congressional statutes establishing their jurisdiction. Otherwise, you know, they can't decide whether they have jurisdiction or not. So there is that whole interpretational question of whether the Judiciary Act gives an original jurisdiction for this mandamus proceeding. But that's not surprising that the court decides that. Mm-hmm. I mean, it may be a little surprising the way it decided it. It didn't have to create the constitutional conflict. But once the court says that the Judiciary Act of 1789 gives us original jurisdiction, now there's a conflict or a potential conflict with Article Three of the Constitution. Article Three of the Constitution says... In all cases affecting ambassadors, other public ministers and consuls, and those in which a state shall be a party, the Supreme Court shall have original jurisdiction. In all other cases before mentioned, the Supreme Court shall have appellate jurisdiction. So now you've got this conflict. Congress, in the Judiciary Act of 1789, says Supreme Court shall have original jurisdiction to issue a writ of mandamus. Right. Article 3 says, here are a couple of things where the Supreme Court has original jurisdiction. Writs of mandamus is not one of them. All other cases, it shall have appellate jurisdiction, not original. So now there's a conflict. So the conflict, yeah. And so here's where Chief Justice John Marshall declares that where there's a conflict between what Congress enacts in the Judiciary Act and what Article 3, Section 2, Clause 2 says, the Constitution must prevail and, you know, and the Supreme Court must, must reluctantly strike down the uh, congressional enactment that violates the uh, violates the Constitution. Now, it's you know this is a principle, this idea that the Supreme Court has the power of judicial review and to declare whether a congressional enactment or even a state enactment is constitutional or not. It is so ingrained in our political system now that it's like, well, well so what's the big deal about Marbury versus Madison, right? right? And it's it wasn't a foregone conclusion at that point, or as much of a foregone conclusion. And so it was a dramatic declaration of power and not necessarily, you know, again, a foregone conclusion. It, it well, and that's could have come out the other way. Yeah, I mean, that's I was just going to say, but that's what's so cool. Like, if it came out the other way, our entire judicial system as we know it, particularly our federal judicial mm-hmm. system, it could have been inconsequential, and each state could have been, I mean, I don't know, I'm, I'm well, hypothesizing. Well, it, it would but. be, I mean, you know, there are different permutations of it, whether, you know, whether the court would still assert, uh, through its appellate jurisdiction over state courts, the case that came up in Martin versus Hunter's lessee, the, the, the authority to overrule state courts on constitutional issues. Right, federal but, constitutional issues. On federal constitutional issues. But the big principle here is that as between Congress and the Supreme Court, and implicitly, as between the president and the Supreme Court, the Supreme Court gets the last word on how to interpret the Constitution. And you don't like it, then go through an amendment process of the Constitution. 
or eventually, as the political system figured out, try get a new Supreme Court by replacing the justices with right. ones more friendly. But that's about a hundred years later. So. <laughs> that is, so it's all right. So a couple of things. But first of all, I think this is really like this is cool. I mean, like if not for this case. Well, there wouldn't be a course in constitutional law, per se, because it would be more of a philosophical matter as, you know, is our Congress really, you know, complying with the Constitution? That might be a political science course. Right. But it wouldn't be a law school course because it wouldn't be something you could argue in the courts. Right. And that's why this case is the first case you read in Constitution. So can I say it's the earliest case that you read? It's the earliest case. Right. right. It is is the the kind of... the grandparent of all Supreme Court constitutional law cases because without Marbury versus Madison, there would be no Supreme Court constitutional law cases out there. And that's why students really need to understand this case. That's why they really need to understand it, even though, as I told you before, it's probably not actually going to be called for on the exam. Okay, on, on your exam. <laughs> it's hard to figure out an exam question when Marbury versus Madison ends up being really relevant. Actually, Could that's happen, interesting. Yeah, that's what I was yeah. going to ask you. So I guess it probably is hard for that to happen. So the last question I have for you, or maybe not the last, but the question I have is, how come it's stuck? Like, why couldn't, couldn't the next case could have just as easily said, you know what? Well, it stuck in part because there was no way to challenge it. Mm-hmm. And remember, you know, I was keeping that scorecard yeah. of, you know, who wins on each thing. So, so you know, the Supreme Court declared that Marbury had a right to his commission. Mm-hmm. They declared that they, he had a right to writ of mandamus. It declared that that right was superior, they, that, that a court could order the president to issue that to to actually deliver the commission right mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and it it declared that courts have the power of judicial review but then at the end of the day rule discharged what does that mean order to show cause is basically discharged and marbury loses because it turns out filed in the wrong court the supreme court doesn't have jurisdiction the thing is by declaring the judiciary act of 1789 unconstitutional John Marshall gave the ultimate win right. to the Anti-Federalist, to President Jefferson and his Secretary of State, Madison, right. and did not say, you got to deliver this commission to Marbury. Actually, if they had ordered that, we would have had a different constitutional crisis because Jefferson would have ignored the order, okay. and Madison would have ignored the order, mm-hmm. and you would have seen how the Supreme Court has no way to enforce it. So you've got the Supreme Court declaring the right of judicial review in a case that nobody is interested in there's nothing else they can do. It's right. not even it's ordering them to do something. Right. And then the Supreme Court never declares another act of Congress unconstitutional again until... Well, for a while, yeah. Dred Scott. Oh. Right? Oh, yeah. The next time oh my gosh, the Supreme how many years Court is that? declared, well, that would be, what, about, about 60 years, yeah, right? I couldn't yeah, know exact yeah, date, right? Yeah, Here's what happens, as I understand it, right? That there is the Judiciary Act of 17... What year was the Judiciary Act? 1789. So there's the Judiciary Judiciary Act of 1789. The issue before the court, kind of the big issue, right, is the constitutionality of the Judiciary Act of 1789. That ended up being the big issue. Okay, the so that's what, that's what I'm saying. For the us. The big issue Not for, for them, them was whether, whether, whether William Marbury had to right. have his commission. Okay. Right? So, all right, so the issue is whether William Marbury gets his commission or not, correct? In order for William Marbury to get his commission, he has to sue. He brings his case to the Supreme Court of the United Mm -hmm. States. The Supreme Court kind of does this backwards. In other words, they figure out whether he sued in the right place 
because if he sued in the right place, they can decide the issue. And if he didn't sue in the right place, he has to bring his case to the proper court. That's right. So they, they look at this Judiciary Act and they see that this Judiciary Act is inconsistent with the Constitution. You got it. And that's the time when they say, we, court, are going to decide whether congressional acts are constitutional or not, that it's our job and we're the final arbiter on whether an act is constitutional, comports with the Constitution. And if it doesn't, then that act gets stri- gets gets stricken, it's invalidated. invalidated. Right. The court has the power to right. declare it invalid, and so it you know it establishes in that ground at least judicial supremacy. And that's like the cool thing because that gets all of constitutional law going, we, gets the ball rolling, and we, without that principle, we <laughs> couldn't have either Lochner versus New York, or Roe versus Wade, or uh, right, or, uh, or, or, or Heller versus District yeah. of Columbia, or, or Bergefell yeah. versus Hodges, yeah. or anything else. Yeah. Right? And yeah, and so and that is why it's just a very cool case and. In a way, what's interesting to your point that you said earlier is that the Supreme Court, in a way, they were being selfish. I don't know. You didn't say this. This is what I'm saying. What I'm saying is Politically partisan? Yeah. Politically partisan. And I don't know if they were savvy or not in using the opportunity to give themselves power. John Marshall is the savviest Chief Justice we've had in the history of the Supreme Court. So do you think they were using this opportunity to give themselves power, that they said this is a chance for us? Absolutely. Aha. Interesting. I mean, if you want to look at the real politics of it, but in a way that would not allow them to actually get into a shooting war with the Jefferson administration. Right, right, right. right. So they give Jefferson a win on the actual case, but a loss on all the underlying principles. Right. But there's nothing he can do about it. Right. Right. Interesting. Wow. Yeah. Very cool. This is great. I really, I get it. You explain it beautifully, and I love the backstory to it. So okay, well, thank you I mean, so I'd much. Love to have a really interested person <laughs> talking about it. Yeah. Well, as an R student, so okay. all right, thanks. Thank you. Bye. Okay, so that's my discussion with Professor Copeland. Hope you enjoyed it, and thank you to www.bensound for supplying the music. Thank you for listening to a lot of fact.